From local to global, we bring you the best conversations with your favorite athletes and Olympians. This is the Olympics.com podcast. Welcome to our Pan Am Games episode of the Olympics.com podcast. Tom Kirkland here and our entire podcast team excited about what's going on in Santiago, Chile. We have multiple teams there covering this great event, which features multiple Paris 2024 Olympic qualifying events. For the latest, you can just cut across our platforms and check out the results. Time to focus on table tennis. We called it ping pong when I was growing up playing in our basement. As you'll soon hear, ping pong, (laughs) not a term you want to use around the world table tennis elite. What I always remember, whatever the term, in addition to the fun we had, were the sounds, the almost metronome cadence of the table tennis world. We're about to meet Chelsea Edgehill, Guyana's first ever table tennis Olympian, man or woman. I'm representing Guyana. Guyana Edgehill, Chelsea Edgehill. Looking to go back to back at Paris 2024 after her Olympic debut at Tokyo 2020. It was something that I visualized for some time. And, you know, whenever I'm feeling down or, or I'm looking for the will to get up and practice, it's something that I go back to, you know, wanting to have that feeling again. At the Pan Am Games in Santiago, give you a little bit of background what's going on there. There are 33 qualifying disciplines for the Paris 2024 Olympics. 21 of those will have a direct quota spot there for the taking. When you're talking about table tennis, only the table tennis mixed doubles event is a direct Olympic qualifier and only for the winning pair. The singles qualification tournament for North America is coming up in 2024. So, 26-year-old Chelsea Edgehill, born in Brooklyn, Raised in the Caribbean nation of Guyana, where cricket, of course, is king. Football, field hockey, and basketball, also very popular. But table tennis? Not so much, but it is growing now, thanks to Chelsea's incredible work. Back in 2021, she didn't qualify through the normal Olympic qualification process, but, but, hey, her dreams did come true thanks to a well-earned wild card entry to Tokyo 2020. Then she validated that wild card by winning her first match. And she's done it. Well done, Chelsea. Edgehill, she takes the fifth game, 11 points to eight. The Guyanan player who goes through to the first round, the round of 64 players. Thus, the first ever Guyanese to make the Olympics in table tennis became the first ever to win an Olympic match as well. But let's back up a bit. Before even playing her first match, Chelsea was honored by her National Olympic Committee. One of seven Guyanese to make the Olympics, she was one of two chosen to carry Guyana's flag at Tokyo 2020 opening ceremony. Now she'll also reveal how her sport helped her overcome a potentially devastating affliction. So happy to introduce to you Chelsea Aretha Renee Edgehill, Guyana's only table tennis Olympian ever and already hungry for more. Welcome to the Olympics.com podcast. We're so happy to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Tom. Uh, Let's start right there. Let's talk about your four beautiful names. Uh, I know you go by cello, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But each of these names it has significance, so I, I would hope you could share that with our listeners. 
Ah, so Chelsea, I got that name from Chelsea Clinton. Uh, my parents really liked the name at the time for obvious reasons. She was the first daughter. And so I have the name Chelsea and the Aretha. I was named after the famous singer Aretha Franklin. I can't sing, just a disclaimer. <laughs> um, singing isn't my thing. Okay, I won't ask you then. <laughs> but um, I think I, I really liked her music and um, she she was a great person. So I think, you know, it's a good fit. Renee was because one of my friends liked the name and it just kind of stuck. And then Ed Hill is my last name. Of course. So. Well, that's, that's great. Who's that in the background? Uh, it's the dog. Well, what's his or her name? His name is Simba. Does he want to get on with us? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's good. So uh, just for everybody, you go by cello. So that's what we're going to go with. Okay. Yeah, we can go with that. Yeah, I, I like that. That's that's really awesome. So you're Brooklyn born, which I'm from New York, so immediately I knew we had some kind of a something something there. Uh, but you grew up in Georgetown, Guyana. Are you a, a New Yorker? I, I know you're Guyanese, but is there any New York in, that you reflect on? Um, not really. Um, I only go there on vacation. A lot of my family lives in New York. But my parents and my siblings, we all grew up in Guyana. And so for me, home will always be Guyana. Of course. Have you ever, way back when you were a kid, referred to your sport as ping pong? When I grew up, it was ping pong. Yeah, um, no. Um, okay. Strange enough, I think some of the players from you know our region are a bit offended when you say ping pong because it assumes that, you know, you just kind of, you know, so all the time it's table tennis. And, and I totally get that. You know, it's how we refer to it. But what you do is is in an, an entirely different galaxy. Um, I, I get that. Uh, where is table tennis in, in Guyana's sports world? I wouldn't say that it's not known. It's well known in Guyana. Um, a lot of people play. Um, we have, uh, yes, a, a wide network of players. Um, a lot of them are currently, you know, active, but over the years, there have been many players that would have graced the sport um, at the national level or even just for fun. And uh, I know it's it's an important uh, sport in your family. Your mom managed the Guyanese uh, youth table tennis team. So uh, it's been around you for m most of your life? Yes, definitely. I started playing since I was nine. And wow. um, ever since, you know, my mom and my dad, um, they've both been, you know, there all the time, you know, present and supporting one of the things that, uh, and, and by the way, this is all of all audio podcasts. One of the things I think is really, uh, you're probably so used to it, you may not even notice it, but the sounds of, of the sport are so unique. You know, tennis has its own sound and volleyball, basketball, but you guys have your own sound in addition to your, you know, whatever audible sounds you're making in celebration, but there's that constant back and forth. Yes, yes, yes. I think it's uh, very unique. And for some reason, I think it's satisfying the sound that the ball makes. I think a lot of table tennis players like the sound of the ball and even the sound it makes when it hits the racket. I think it's very satisfying. And in the course of a rally, the sound also trigger your, you know, your hand eye toward a reaction. Can you tell that minutely? Yes. Um, sometimes you can tell the spin on the ball just by listening. You know, a lot of times... I try to play it by ear if I can't see it because uh, it's so fast. But sometimes you can tell you can tell definitely when the ball has spin versus when it doesn't. 
Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so when you were six, you talk about picking up the sport uh, young, but you came down with uh, an affliction called amblyopia. Yeah. Can you tell us how that came on? And then the solution is quite remarkable. Um, so funny enough, um, when I was a kid, I ran and I think I hit my eye into the wall while I was just playing. And uh, we didn't know for years, I think, until I was about six, where I, I was in class and I couldn't see on the board. I was writing and the things I was writing didn't make sense. And the teacher noticed it. Um, so she told my parents, you know, to get my eyes checked. And when they did, that's when they found out that something was definitely wrong with my left eye. And then over the years, you know, they took me for therapy, for treatments. And this one summer, they decided that we're not going to go for treatments. We're going to stay in Guyana and just try to sort it out. And it was just, by the way, table tennis, there was um, a Teach Them Young program and I just went for the summer. And when I went back to the doctor in September, he asked if I did surgery because he couldn't understand, you know, how is it that my sight improved so drastically in such a short time? And he asked, he's like, what did you guys do this summer? And my mom said, oh, they played table tennis. And he said, oh, okay, that, that tracks because now she has to focus on a very small ball and, you know, the ball moves fast. So a lot of uh, muscle work with the eyes. And uh, he was very surprised and even said that he'd recommend it to his other patients. That is uh, an incredible story on so many levels. So you're also yeah. helping the medical community in your country. Uh, so no invasive surgery. Just go play table tennis and, and concentrate. That That's incredible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And from a very young age, you know, at first, you know, a part of me playing was because of my sight and I wanted it to get better. But as the more I kept playing is the more I love the sport. So I just, you know, kept going and going and going. So you're young and you're working through the eye issues. What else do you do for fun when you're young in Georgetown? What was, what do you, what was your go-to? Um, so I did a lot of things when I was younger. Um, I did swimming, I did dancing. Uh, I even took piano lessons. Uh, I think my schedule was pretty packed. Yeah. I even played a bit of cricket uh, while I was while I was younger. So for fun, those were the things I did, and even table tennis. But uh, eventually, table tennis got a bit more serious than just having fun. Of course, and and what role? Uh, you, you know, your mother, a coach. I've coached my my children in basketball, and your mother leading you. How how did that help you? Uh, you know, in the role that your parents played in making your life uh, easy to pursue that? Uh, so my mom wasn't a coach, uh, even though she liked to think of herself as a coach. Um, she just, she managed the team. Managed. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having them there to support and to, you know, first believe in your goals and your dreams, even before you did, um, made it a lot easier and definitely um it was a thing where you didn't have to worry about, you know, if you had the support for your dreams because they were already there and they were very solid. Um, you know, they gave you the courage and the confidence to believe in yourself and to just keep going, not just not to worry about anything, just to pursue your goals and your dreams. And um, I'm very grateful to them um, because without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. And um it's really, it's really something, and it's really a privilege to have people from very early on, you know, believe in you from such a very young age. And that doesn't happen to a, a lot of kids, you know, growing up. Sometimes it's a little more dicey with their family. What specifically do you remember 
uh, maybe getting through a difficult time when you were young or, or, you know, maybe more recently where there was a, a bit of advice or a mantra that you have? This is throughout my career and even now more than ever, I'm reminded constantly by my mom to not give up and, you know, that your time is coming, you know, the right time that everything will happen, you know, and um, it's something that I choose to believe and I choose to hold on to because a lot of days are harder than others. And so, you know, it's always good to have something to hold on to and to look to and remind yourself of that, you know, it's it's all going to work out and it's all going to happen when it needs to happen. For sure. That's so crucial. Life is, uh, brings so many challenges. Uh, that's, uh, that's a great uh, bit of direction there. When, when did you first hear about, you know, this thing called the Olympics? When was that dream hatched, maybe? I think that would be around, I think, the 2012 Olympics in London. I was, or might no, it was the Beijing Olympics. In a oh, way, I, yeah, I was about 11 at the time. And I was just, you know, watching the opening ceremony and, you know, watching the athletes. And one race in particular kind of stuck with me. And it was the race with um, Ali and Pompey from Guyana. So ever since then, you know, watching her run and, you know, seeing someone from my country on that stage, it was, you know, very inspiring. And uh, I said from then, I told my parents, like, mom, dad, I want to go to the Olympics. And they, they kind of were like, okay. And they didn't question it. They didn't, they didn't, you know, say it's a very hard, very big dream to, they didn't say anything. They just said, okay. And they just laughed at that. And, you know, I recently I watched an interview that I did when I was about 11 and they asked me, what is my dream in the sport? And I said, I want to be the first Guyanese table tennis player to go to the Olympics. And it was just when I qualified that I realized that this was something that I've been working towards since a very, very young age. And it's something, you know, that, you know, inspires me even today to keep working and to keep believing and keep thriving. For sure. The fact that you have that interview from when you were 11, that's, uh, that's remarkable. That's really yeah. cool. So when did table tennis start to take over, become a career? And, and I don't mean that, you know, working way, but I mean this idea that, you know, I can do this. I can do this a lot. I'm really good. I, the Olympics are, are there for me. When, when did all this happen? I think when I was about 18, I went to university uh, in the U.S. And um, the team of players that I, I would have trained at, I went to Lindenwood University. And there were a lot of players from around the world that were very talented. And um, we were all very driven, but at the same time pursuing, you know, uh, or different degrees. And uh, I was offered an opportunity for an internship in Portugal to practice. It was there that I, for the one of the first times that I've practiced, you know, six hours a day. And um, seeing how the pros do it. And it was something that I was very interested in doing. And there was just this innate feeling that I had to do this, that this is something I really want to do. You know, from there, I just, I told my, I talked to my parents and I said, you know, if I want to go to the Olympics, I have, I have to dedicate my time to this. I have to do this full time. And they were like, okay, um, once you finish your degree, once you've done that part, we can give you one year uh, to play professionally and try to go to the Olympics. And uh, that one year turned into four years. And uh, today we're here uh, in Germany playing. So, you know, from a very, very 
just a few years ago, I think you know, that belief that I had that I had to do something, I had to do this, it was just kind of keep driving me to this point. That's really cool when that uh, feeling is so pure, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Tell us about your, I know all sports now have, have developed to a point where you practice, but there's all kinds of cross training. Uh, do you cross train? Uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm in, you know, my off period, I would do a bit of swimming or I might just, you know, bounce a ball or, mm-hmm. you know, kick a football um, just to, you know, relax and even get like a fresh perspective, uh, especially this summer it was something that I really wanted to do. Um, even if just to stay active, but also to just get a fresh, fresh perspective on coming back into the new season. For sure. And, you know, like every uh, high level athlete, there are injuries. There's things that you have to train to avoid and then deal with in training and in competition. Uh, what are some of the, the injuries that a table tennis pro might have? Like, is it shoulder, elbow? Yeah, um, a lot of times you would have um, a rotator cuff injury or um, tennis elbow, or sometimes, especially in my case, I had a wrist injury. Sometimes you have ACL injuries and, you know, ankle injuries, but a lot of times it's fixable. A lot of times, you know, it's workable. There's things you can do to avoid it. So for me, it's very minor, but, you know, still have to be very careful. I'm going to make a list of because this is this is wild. In uh, 2018, the Caribbean Senior Championships U21 champion, then named Senior Sportswoman of the Year in Guyana in 2019. Same time you graduated from Lindenwood in Missouri, majoring in chemistry. Yeah. And now you're pursuing a, a sports management, and you're the chairman of the Guyana Athletes Commission. That is that's a that's a busy CV. Yes, it is. Um, for me, I'm, I'm always thinking about what to do next and the things I want to do and, you know, always try to lead with my heart and the things that I'm passionate about. Growing up and going to high school in Guyana, I was always fascinated, you know, in the latter years of high school with science. And so I did a degree in chemistry just because it's something I liked. And, you know, as time progressed and I got a little older and realizing what was happening with athletes in Guyana, I decided that, you know, it's time to speak up for athletes and, you know, being an athlete myself, it's something that I understand, you know, on a deeper level. So when I was elected to be or appointed to be the Athletes Commission Chair, I decided to equip myself with the knowledge to be able to really help athletes and to have the know-how to change things for the better for athletes in sports in Guyana. That's tremendous. How do you know? What's the What's the payback or what's the feedback you're getting to let you know that that you're on the right track? And I'm sure you're open minded. I mean, if the feedback is we need more here or there, uh, you you have to sort of grow into that role. Yeah, definitely. There's still a lot, you know, I need to learn a lot that I need to navigate in in this new realm of, you know, being an athlete's advocate. Um, It's very new for Guyana and for me. Uh, But what I've been getting, you know, from the wider community in the Caribbean, is that I'm not alone and that, you know, a lot of the problems we're facing, they're also facing. And what we've decided to do is, you know, help each other and, you know, to be able to better equip our athletes and, you know, the advocacy of athletes in the Caribbean. That works right into a part of uh, this that I want to make sure I I touch on. And, And, you know, obviously around the world, this day and age in athletics, as well as life in general, mental health is is a huge focus now, trying to help those, trying to uh, troubleshoot 
potential problems. And, and I know for elite athletes, it's, you know, in some cases even more extreme. You face challenges that uh, the everyday person might not face. Yeah. You know, it's it's been something to definitely talk about recently, you know, ever since Simone, Simone Biles placed a lot of emphasis on it at the last Olympics. I think a lot of athletes are realizing the importance of, you know, mental health and mental health wellness. Um, you know, as an athlete, definitely I've had my struggles with it, especially in the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's easier said than done to say get help, but you need to really understand, you know, what it is that you're getting help for. And, you know, I will always say, talk to your friends, talk to your family, and most importantly, talk to a professional because it is very important. And, you know, it, and as an athlete, as you rightly said, it can hit us harder than the average person for the things that we face. No doubt. You're, you know, you're in this elite level sport uh, participation and, and with social media, I don't have to tell you, you know, there's an expectation and, and you know, you, you get praise, but sometimes it crosses the line. Yeah. Uh, the ridicule is even harder than the, the praise because to start off, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Uh, we're always striving, you know, to be better. And some of us even strive for perfection. And when, when we fall short, you know, we already are very hard on ourselves. And then to have everyone else be just as hard or even harder, you know, it's very sometimes debilitating. You see, you sometimes you want to give up, uh, but you have to remind yourself of your why and your goals and what it is, why you're doing this. So, yeah, it's just, you know, my advice to fans and people who are well-wishers is to be kinder because we already put ourselves on there enough pressure as is. Do you find yourself having to, uh, you know, just remind yourself that some of that stuff out there is just not real? A lot of the times, yes. Um, and more and more so recently, um, because this year in my career hasn't been the greatest. Um, it's one of those years where you're just learning and trying to continuously, you know, improve. Um, even if the results aren't going the way you are and people adding to that and persons that you would expect to um, be supportive, even even in the bad times, you know, having negative things to say doesn't help. But what helps is to have a base, you know, have a, a, a group of people around you that, you know, are encouraging, are supportive and keeping you motivated, you know, to keep going. And, you know, that reminder that constant reminder and even within yourself to have that self-belief that, you know, you can still do this. Living mindfully is a, is a phrase that's, uh, that we're focusing on quite a bit here uh, at Olympics.com because it's, you know, we're, we're reading the room in essence that that's a sense that has to go around the world to so many people. What does living mindfully mean to you? It means to be, you know, careful and be mindful and be cognizant that, other people have their own troubles in life and other people are going through their own things. Uh, no one is perfect. Everyone falls short at some time. And uh, as an individual, as a person, you should approach every situation with some sort of kindness and to put kindness first in you know, responding to criticism, even responding to a situation because the other person has their own things and you have to be mindful of that. Right. That's important to remember that. So mm -hmm. in the run up to Tokyo, you had two chances for uh, direct Olympic qualifying. You 
perform well, but you didn't get the direct. And then can you, can you describe that whole wild card process? And I mean, that must have been like Christmas, uh, whenever it was. The first one was Pan Am Games in 2019. And the second was the Olympic qualifiers. And, right. Uh, both times I really wanted to qualify. I wanted to direct qualification as any other athlete would. And it didn't work out for me that way. And I was very disappointed, um, very, you know, upset with myself. You know, again, could it just being disappointed that I wasn't able to accomplish that goal. And I was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to relax. I'm going to just have a good summer, watch the game, you know, try to gear up for the next four years. And um, it was one day I decided, okay, I'm going to go practice. Like I'm just going to get dressed and I'm going to go out and practice. And before I left the house, uh, my mom got a phone call and she said, Chelsea, the phone's for you. And I was like, um, what's happening? And she's like, oh, just some someone's calling for you. And then I answered the phone and it's the treasurer of the Ghana Olympic Association. At this point, I didn't know anything about the wild card or anything. And he's like, um, you need to start training. So I said, oh, but I'm on my way to practice right now. And he's like, no, 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 no. I mean, you need to start training. You got the wild card to the Olympics. And I was like, what? I was like, congratulations. You're the first table tennis player to go to the Olympics. And I'm just like totally shocked, speechless. There's not much I can say about the matter because I didn't, I really and truly didn't expect this. And um, I started crying. I told my parents, they were very happy. And it's just one of those things where you, you work hard and, you know, you keep doing your best and the right people will see it, you know, things will eventually work out. And it was definitely an ex- a feeling that I'll probably never forget. Yeah. It changes the rest of your day. <laughs> Changed the rest of my year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. Um, And and that's such a special part of this. You join such a select community even before you go and then you go. And then uh, you're chosen to be flag bearer at opening for for your nation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it continues to get crazy good for you. Yeah. 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 It definitely did. Um, when I heard I was the flag bearer, I was just just full of pride. And, you know, I've never been the flag bearer before. And to have it, have it be the Olympic Games, it was pretty special. And, you know, it's just a great experience and great feeling. Do you remember that? I know it was, it was, you know, I was there. I mean, Tokyo was in full lockdown and there wasn't a whole lot in the stadium. But still, yeah. what do you remember from that? I guess, you know, when they announced Guyana and, well, before than that, they um, we were walking in the tunnels and you have to go collect your flag. And I think us collecting the flag was just kind of a momentous moment for us because it was just it was two of us and we understood what was happening in the world. And, you know, to be so fortunate to be there at that, po- that point, that moment was just really special. And I just remember feeling so prideful, you know, and then walking out into the big stadium and realizing we're here. Like we actually did this. We're really here. And, you know, to be on the world stage where everyone gets to see your country, everyone gets to see your flag and everyone gets to see you represent your country. So it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty special. Yeah. You know, I always, when I was researching this, it validates your being chosen for a wild card when you win your first round, right? Yes. And then you can turn around and say, thank you. See, I belong here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
is definitely one of those things. It kind of you know made me feel a bit validated in the sense that I'm good enough because you're racking your mind around that you know you don't really deserve to be here. Um, and you have people saying that you got lucky and all of these different things to go to the match, you know, and have a good draw and play well and then come out with a win. It's really something very special and to be the first from your country. And then you have a win. It's like, that's a good feeling. For sure. The first ever from your country and then the first ever to win a match. Yeah. And uh, there was some reports there about a roar, a special kind of roar you had when you won. Do you remember? Yes, I did. I just remember turning to my coach and just screaming because we both knew that what it meant for us to have that win, um, to be there. And, and I guess, you know, all the it was all just because all the negativity and all the things people were saying at the time, it was just. Uh, aside, like just a roar of relief, you know, a roar of satisfaction that, yes, I did this. Uh, imagine even now, you, you can go right back there, can't you? Yeah, always, always, definitely. That's great. And then, you know, life, life comes at us as it comes at us. And, you know, you, it was, it was COVID all around the world and they managed to pull off the Olympics, but, you know, I feel for you because you had to go through the British suite of, of, of the Olympics and then your father passes away. Uh, yeah. And and talk about mental health and living mindfully and all that stuff. You know, again, we're never equipped for all that life throws at us. But um, can you just kind of describe what those moments, what that was like? I definitely say it's one of the worst things to ever happen to me and my family, of course, uh, to know that the best thing happened and then to have the worst thing to ever happen. It's very, it, it was very hard. Um, we miss him every day. It's it's one of those things you don't get over. But you kind of just kind of have to keep working and keep thrive, striving and uh, keep putting one foot in front of the other because you still have your goals and um, you still want to make him proud. And it's definitely something that it's, it's, that's, that you live with. And it's not easy. Every day is a struggle. Um, but the fact that you get up every day, you go you go to practice, you give it your all, and um, I think that's the best you can do. Right. And, you know, in your mind, you know that he saw you win, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, the fact that he saw me go to the Olympics, and I think it was a dream of his as well. So, you know, I'm glad that I was able to do that for him, um, even though it was for me. I'm glad I did it for him, and it's part of the reason why I want to go to Paris to go even further than I did in Tokyo and to prove that it doesn't matter what happens in life, that you can, you can still reach, reach for higher things. You can still do whatever it is that you put your mind to. Yeah. Those are, those are lessons that are hard. Uh, is there any, anything that uh, echoes in your mind, any of his words, or you mentioned your mother never, never give up. Uh, was there anything about your father's way or words that, that, you know, motivate you now or, or, you know, bounce around in your mind? Um, there's always this one thing you always would say to me. It's always do your best and be good. <laughs> it didn't matter where I was going or what I was doing. He'd always say, be good. So I think that's what I remember most about him. As a parent, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. All right. So now two and a half years later, 
what's this process as you look ahead toward qualifying? It, it's only in the, the mixed doubles is a direct in the Pan Am games. Are you competing in, in the mixed? Yes, I am. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure up to the minute that, that we have that right. Uh, so yeah. talk us through what this presents. Um, it presents a, a unique opportunity to uh, play at the Olympics. Um Always, you know, you'd want to play the singles event, um, but, you know, an opportunity is an opportunity. You just have to go hard and try to, you know, take it. So um, this time around, it, I'm very fortunate to have been able to play both the singles and the doubles with my teammate. And um, I think we'll just give it our, our all going into going into the game. So I'm really looking forward to playing the mixed doubles. As am I looking forward to playing in the singles? Of course, it's two entirely different demands mentally, obviously physically, isn't it? It's two different things. Yeah, um, I think the singles there's a bit more pressure, uh, while in the mixed doubles you can have a little bit more fun, um, and you know, depending on your your partner and and just feeding off that energy on the court and you know just having fun. And then going forward, it's the North American event should dictate the singles? I think that's next year. I'm not sure. 2024. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next year, we're not sure how that's going to work. Um, there's the Continental Qualifier, and they're, they're, we don't know where it's going to be yet. Right. But that's definitely going to dictate who goes in the singles event. Right, and so that helps to set up the schedule, the training, the nutrition, yeah. the travel, all of, and and by the way, you're also uh, pursuing that sports management master's. You know, uh, more to juggle, but with that that definite goal uh, down the road in several months. Yeah, it's it's going to be a bit challenging and a bit you know tricky with all the scheduling and you know the managing. Great, my my certificate will be finished in January. Um, so I'll have a bit more time to focus on the trials and the and the Olympics once the trials go in my favor. Um, so it it require a lot of work, but I think I'm up for the challenge. Pan Am Games, you, you've done that, and you're heading there. What does that mean to you? What where is this in your world? It's it's there. Um, I always I, I think of it as you know a, a preparation for the trials and you know a chance to you know kind of make my mark. Um, I'm yet to win uh, the first international um, medal in table tennis beyond the Caribbean region in the senior level for Guyana. It's always a goal of mine that every opportunity that presents itself to try and win the win win a medal doesn't matter the color, but right. it just it would be something you know for my country and something to be very proud of to be able to do someday. And the Tokyo memory obviously still fresh. Oh, that. where does that play in your motivation? Is that part of every single? training every single match or do you you know can you get can you get can you like sort of control it i i have i think i've i've managed to control it pretty well however when i need a source of motivation and inspiration i go back to that moment because that moment as it didn't just happen it was something that i visualized for some time and you know whenever i'm feeling down or or I'm looking for the will to get up and practice. It's something that I go back to, you know, wanting to have that feeling again. So it's one of those things that pushes me to try to qualify for Paris. And uh, what's it like being around Georgetown and around your nation after the Olympics? Uh, it just made me think of, you know, if, if you sometimes use it, how much is it of fans or people or your community or your countrymen and women to remind you and 
I mean, you're you were kind of a thing, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, I think still a yes, thing. Um, yes, you know, they've 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 known about me for ever since I was a kid. You know, and they've been watching and you know watching the journey and watching the progress. And if it's one thing about them, they're very supportive. You know, the entire fan base is is very supportive, and I'm very grateful for that. That you know, I might have a bad tournament, and they still you know say you're a champion in my eyes and you know um, we still believe in you keep going keep trying you'll get it um so i'm really thankful for that um when i'm home you know there's never a dull moment that anytime i'm in the city or i'm walking somewhere there's someone that recognizes me uh, and you know they shouts me out or you know hi cello or chelsea and they're you know they're pretty excited to see me and, you know, talk to me and, you know, it's something that, you know, you don't take for granted and you're very humbled by it. So, you know, I'm always excited to be out and about in Guyana. For sure. I mean, with all your, with all humility, it's a dream come true, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's all yeah. positive. Yeah, definitely. And and it seems to me you have so much more to grow into this sport yes. and and you know that you haven't, probably approached your best yet i don't think so either i think there's still a lot more left for me to do a lot more left for me to accomplish and i think there's still a lot more time for me to be in the sport and still be able to make an impact and you know still carry my flag with with pride and honor so trying to be patient and um trying to just you know keep working and doing all the right things so that i can achieve those goals and as far as you you know you're reaching for the stars in your career is it is it more mental or physical i always like to hear athletes talk about you know being in the zone when everything slows down and you're so comfortable and confident and you don't really have to think out there uh you probably had some of those moments yeah um I have had those moments, but now I found it a, very, a bit difficult to navigate or get to that point where everything slows down. It's a work in progress. I think there have been some changes, you know, in my life recently that's caused the the focus to shift a bit. And so, you know, I'm working to getting back there where that level of comfort of competing and, you know, just being in the zone. I'm working towards having that sense of calm while in those situations again. So for me, I think it's more mental than it is physical because the physical side and, you know, the, the technical side of the sport, my co let my coach tell it, he says that I'm right there. It's just that I need to, you know, be able to zone in and stay calm. Again, that's great guidance. Uh, have you ever been to Paris? Yes, I have. Um, I was there in 2013 for the world championships and Paris is so beautiful. And I'm, I'm really hoping, you know, that I can go again and this time for the Olympics. Parlez-vous français? No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something you could work on, right? You'd love to work Definitely. on it. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, we look forward to watching uh, your, your your progress. Out. So I know you're studying and you mentioned the international sports management, uh, the degree coming up uh, soon, right? Yeah. This uh, January. What do you want to do as you move forward? You know, maybe after, maybe you want to stay with the sport. I know you're so young, it's hard to figure out what you want to do down the line, but I'm sure you, you know, you're, you sound focused. You probably have thoughts about, you know, as your career moves on. Oh, definitely. Um, my goal for after, you know, competing, being an athlete is to still be around the sport, um, even as a coach or um, someone who can advise team, you know, help out with you know, the development of my team. But I'm, I have 
uh, vested interest in development of sport in my country and, you know, not just athlete advocacy, but, you know, policy and decision making as it pertains to sport development and athlete development. So it's something that I'm really interested in and it's something that I am really working towards and uh, trying to do once, you know, it doesn't even have to be once my career, you know, in the sport as an athlete ends, but, you know, being able to do my part now uh, while I'm studying and, you know, learning. So it's something I'm definitely driven about for the future. Cello, thank you so much for joining us on this Olympics.com podcast. We, uh, I certainly, I always love these chances to, to, you know, to get to know people a little bit and it's been a blast. We look forward to following your journey. Uh, good luck. And, uh, you know, we hope everything continues to go well for you. Hope there's a bounce back coming. I'm sure there will be, you know, life, life doesn't always, th you know, life is challenging. There's all kinds of stuff, but with your attitude and your uh, support, network uh it sounds like you're you're putting it back together and uh i honor that yes, thank you so much for having me it's a true honor and a true pleasure to be here this is the olympics.com podcast. Podcast. podcast again chelsea edchill working to go back to back and her singles journey continues in the coming months if you love the table tennis experience we've certainly got you covered here at olympics.com among our original content, excellent stuff, the features you'll find, heroes of the future. The future of Japan's table tennis belongs to this 13-year-old prodigy, Harimoto Miwa. Footsteps, family stories from the Balkans, the unlikely table tennis dynasty from Serbia, and many others, including an old YouTube throwback Thursday episode, the 2008 men's singles final in Beijing that has over a million views. It's well worth checking out. That's it for this episode of the Olympics.com podcast. Hit us up at Olympics with any feedback you have. We love feedback. It helps us to improve and keep an eye on what's out there. You can also hit me up on my Twitter at TK Sports Tweets. Thanks for being part of the Olympic community and follow the road to Paris 2024 Olympic qualification process right here as well. We'll see you next time. For more in-depth and original Olympics-related feature content, search our platforms here on Olympics.com. 